0: All right, well, Pastor Hyden here, and welcome to this time where we're now gonna jump headfirst into the word of God. There's no better place to be this morning than in the presence of the Lord and reading this word. I don't know what time you're watching this. Maybe it's later for you. Maybe it's at a different point in time, but today, this is the day that the Lord has made. Come on, and he has fresh bread for us in his word. So if you're ready to eat, say, let's eat. If you're having a watch party, if you're watching this with somebody right now, say, Let's eat. If you're in the comments, come on, somebody say, let's eat. And we're looking at the book of Ruth this morning. We're in Ruth chapter two today, right? The past two weeks, we unpacked chapter one. We went on this journey with this lady named Naomi and her, her, her journey starts in Bethlehem with her husband, Elimelech, and their two growing sons. Elimelech, knowing that there's a famine that has hit Bethlehem, even though Bethlehem's name is House of Bread, and God is surely going to restore that to his people if they would just wait on the Lord and trust him and turn from sin and, and follow him and, and heed his word. But what they did was they, they ran and they left where God had placed them, and they went to a place called Moab. Moab was a a pagan city. Today, Moab would be found in a a Palestinian area in the eastern part of Jordan, and they, they, they go to this city that's known for its paganistic, false, lowercase g, God worship, and they thought they would only be going for a while. They ended up staying there. 10 years, and I just want to give you a little bit of this context. Maybe you're a first-time guest today, or maybe this is just helpful reminders as we go into this new chapter, chapter 2, right? They, they escaped to—well, they didn't escape. They, they went, right, to Moab uh, in fear that they might have lost their lives in Bethlehem. But it's actually in Moab that we see this really dark season of life. We see Elimelech pass away. We don't know why or what exactly happened. We just know that he died. And not long after that, we see right their two sons take two Moabite wives. Their names were Orpah and Ruth. And not long after that, we see the two sons pass away as well. Now it's 10 years later since they first left, and we find this widow now, Naomi, by herself, In this foreign land with two Moabite daughter-in-laws, she gets tired of it. She gets exhausted. She feels bitter and she says, you know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go get that bread. I'm gonna go back to the place where I know there's bread. God has me there. He he, he has favor there. I'm gonna go follow that. Even though I'm upset, even though I'm hurt, she looks at the two daughter-in-laws and says, you guys go back to your place. Go back to your home. I'm gonna go get that bread. The beautiful thing that happens next is that Ruth, the daughter-in-law, says, you know what? I want to believe in your God. I want, to, I want your people to be my people. I want to go with you, Naomi. Orpah gives her a kiss. She leaves. She goes back to Moab. But Naomi says, okay, well, let's go. Let, let, let's do it. Come on. Somebody say, let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go. They go back to Bethlehem. They make their way on this journey. And last week we talked about how Naomi and and Ruth, they make this seven to 10 day trip. They were were probably walking. There was dirt. It was hot. It was struggle. They arrive and the women of the town show up to meet them and greet them. But it's not with a hug and a kiss. It's a, is that really you, Naomi? Right, Naomi has this response. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. I'm not pleasant to be around and I don't look pleasant either. Call me Mara, which means, Bitterness. And she goes on to say that the Lord has brought bitterness upon her life. She says she went away full, but she's now come back empty. And the whole time, there's no mention of Ruth at all, no even acknowledgement of Ruth. And that's where we closed it last week. Well, right now we're jumping into chapter two, and there's a whole lot more left in this story. So I want to invite you to turn with me now there and let's look at this together. If you're ready, say, ready. Come on, if you're hungry say, let's eat. Before we eat, let's pray. Father, as we eat from your word right now, calm our hearts, quiet our souls, open our minds. Holy Spirit, open our hearts the same way you helped Lydia to understand your word. I pray that you would do that for us here today at Walk Church and wherever else and whoever else may be watching this at whatever time. Holy Spirit, use this sermon to bring about life change, transformation, repentance toward Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name, yes, Lord. Amen. Ruth chapter 2, we're going to be reading from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. Let's go. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Everybody say, what up, Bo? What up, Bo? We get to meet Boaz in chapter two, verse one. And Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, come on, somebody say it with me. Behold right that word behold it's a shock verse right it's a moment to say hold up really lean in right here behold boaz came from bethlehem and he said to the reapers the lord be with you and they answered the lord bless you then boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers whose young woman is this he said whew, whew. that was kind of a weak whistle and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves uh, after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Except for a short rest. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The title of my message this morning is Optimistic Faith. Optimistic faith. Faith. I want to talk to you today about what it looks like and what it means to have optimistic faith. I felt like as I was studying for this sermon, God just dropped this phrase on my heart and on my mind. He said, Hayden, here's what I want you to have. I want you to have optimistic faith. When I read this story, I see a young woman named Ruth embodying optimistic faith. So let's go ahead and talk about that here today. As we look at verse one, verse one says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And this first verse is an important verse. It helps give us context for what we're about to walk into. Right, This first verse, it says that here's this man named Boaz, and he is a relative of Elimelech, and he is from this clan and he's on display here. There's much to learn about this brother. It's important because we see that Naomi and Ruth are just getting back to Bethlehem. They're touching down, and they're in need of—they're in need of two real things. They're in need of food, and they're in need of, in need of family, right? These these two women of God—they need food to survive, right? They need to eat, and they need family for protection, right? They need family to look out for them, for provision to. Watch their back. Well, here we find a few things about this man uh, named Boaz, right? A, we find that he's a relative of Elimelech, right? Na- Naomi's once husband, Elimelech, had a relative in the city of Bethlehem where she was from. She must have forgot about him somehow. Maybe she didn't quite know him too well, but on her way back, and, and they get there, and then they realize the author tells us there's actually a relative of Elimelech still around, and his name's Boaz. So we find that he's a relative. The second thing we see here about him is that the text says he's a worthy man. Let's highlight that. He's a a worthy man. The NASB literal translation says not just that he's a worthy man, but he's a wealthy man. The text says that he's a man of great wealth. Some would say that he was a businessman. We find here later that he owned his own field, he had a lot of money. He didn't just have physical bread, right? He had that financial bread, right? He had that, right? And so he, he's a man of stature. Some other translations say he was a man of good standing, right? He was a man of standing. He had integrity. He had a reputation in the land. So he's a, he's a family relative of Elimelech. He's got some money. He, he's a wealthy, influential man. And then it says, Uh, um, it says that he was of the family of the clan of Elimelech. It's important to know that he's of this clan. And maybe that that language doesn't fully resonate with you because to me it didn't either. But here's what we learn about that. In Israelite society, right, you started with an individual, that individual had a family, that family was part of a clan, and that that clan was a part of an overall tribe. I think the most important thing that I've studied and found is that the clan is a big deal. Here's why. Because the clan looked out for the families that it represented. right? So we have this family here, and if there's somebody that's a part of that communal clan, they're going to look out for whoever's part of the families that make up that clan. Does that make sense? So just the fact that Boaz right, is a man of wealth, and status and influence. And because Naomi and now Ruth, this daughter in law who's married into the family, right, that, that they're there and they're part of this overall clan because of Elimelech, there's this, there's this grace that Boaz is gonna look out for the fam. So here's a couple things to be on display, right? Boaz, his name by definition is the name swiftness, it actually means strength within. Boaz, by definition, means a strong man inwardly, right? Swift and strong inside. So now that we have some context in verse one, I think it's appropriate for us to, to move into verse two. Verse two says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. She says, go do it. Ruth looks at Naomi. Here's what I want you to see here. Come on, lean in with me, really quick. Ruth is now there with her mother in law, Naomi. They've made it to Bethlehem. They don't necessarily have a place to live, they don't have a lot of food to eat, they don't have a place to take a bath or a shower. They're probably just sitting there mourning all the pain and the loss that has come with their journey. But one day, Oh, come on. I love this right here. One day we find Ruth say, hey, you know what? I can't just stay here waiting for something to happen. Come on. I got to go make something happen by faith. She says, I can't just stay here with mom-in-law when I know that God has something bigger and better for me and for us. I need to go work my faith. I need to go step out, step in, and have some optimistic faith. Notice what she says. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Here's what she's saying. She goes, If I go, I know I'll find favor. The first point of the sermon today is simply this favor follows optimistic faith. God's favor will follow optimistic faith. Ruth says, if I just take a step by faith, if I just go by faith, the favor is going to follow it. That God has something around the corner for me if I just step out and go. The word optimistic just means that you have a hopeful confidence about the future. And I love here that Ruth says, Look, I can't just wait around waiting for everything to get better. I have to go do my best to be the change that I wanna see. Dr. Martin Luther King said that, right? He said, We can be the change that we wanna see if we step out with optimistic faith. Ruth, look, she uses her voice. She says to her mother in law, I gotta go do something. And here's what she says she has to do She goes, I'm gonna go to the field and I'm gonna glean among the ears of grain. And there might be somebody who comes along from that field who might show me favor. I believe it's going to happen. This optimistic faith was so contagious that even pessimistic Naomi says, you know what? You got it. Handshake. Go do it. Go do it. Let me give you a few reasons why Ruth may have had this level of optimistic faith. One, because she may have knew the word. See, I think the more we get to know the Word of God, the more we get to know the God of the Word, and the more we get to know the God of the Word, right? The more we get optimistic about the future. Even though things may get dark and things may get worse, we can still approach it with the light. We can still approach it with confidence. We can still approach it with optimism because our God is for us. She knew the Word. Maybe she had an understanding of Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10. Listen to what the author says in the book of Leviticus. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I'm the Lord your God. So how, how neat is that? I've never seen this verse before. But it's blowing my mind that God in Leviticus says, look, when you guys go out for the harvest, mind you, this is the time of the harvest, right? He says, when you guys go to try to collect the different grains and try to collect the different grapes and to try to collect the different vegetation, some stuff's not going to fall out. Some stuff is going to just be left over. Just leave it there because there's going to be some foreigners from Moab. There's going to be some people that are coming to want to get in on the blessing too and leave some blessing for them. You never know who's coming and God's saying, I'm looking out for all people, right? I'm reminded more and more, especially this week in the past month, that God is a God of justice and he hates injustice and his church should too. Even in Leviticus, God says, I'm looking out for the poor. I'm looking out for the needy. I'm looking out for the foreigner. I'm looking out for the Gentile. I'm looking out for the outcast that when they show up and they come up by faith, there's going to be something for them. Ruth may have been familiar with this word. She may have got some coaching uh, on the Levitical law from Naomi and she might have thought, you know what? There was that verse in Leviticus that says, if I go out and glean, I know I'm poor. We don't got much, but I might be able to get the scraps. Right? That gives me the second reason as to why I think she had optimistic faith. Second reason is because she wasn't insecure. Oh, I love this about Ruth. Come on, ladies. Take this word from our sister, Ruth, this this single woman who is is just trying to demonstrate her optimistic faith in this text. She says, look, I'm I'm not insecure. I'm not tripping about what other people may think. I'm not worried about uh, the audience around me. I'm worried about this audience, right? And I know if I take care of this, God's going to take care of that. Right? Warren Wearsby gives us some context. In his commentary, he says, whenever they reaped a harvest, God's people were to consider the poor and leave gleanings for them. So she goes, I'm gonna go out for the gleanings. And I know that I'm poor. I know that I don't have a ton. And if I can just get some of that glean, that's good enough for me. I love how God says, this lady has optimistic faith. She doesn't need to have everything. She's just coming out to get something. And she really believes if she goes, favor is gonna follow. Something about when you go with optimistic faith, God says, I got favor for that. I got more for that. The word gleanings means to pick up, to gather whatever it is that you can find. This was Ruth's conviction. Ruth said, Hey, look, God seems to care about people like me, foreigners, people that are outcasts, people that are broken, right? God says that Ruth's life matters. And therefore, If I matter to God, right, he's going to come through and help me. And so I think just be reminded of that, church. I know I'm overstating this because I think it's so often that we forget it, that you can have confidence and optimism in your God because he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And not only that, he promises that good is going to follow us all of our days. As long as we're walking in that optimistic faith, favor is following Here's what the author in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 says. We'll look at it from the NLT translation. Deuteronomy 10 says, He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. I'll tell you, it's all throughout the Bible, right? God is a God of justice. In this text, He's talking specifically about widows and orphans, right? Widows' lives matter. (laughs) Orphans' lives matter. God is making very clear distinctions there, isn't he? Right? He's saying he shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. Ruth must have known that God is going to come through. Right, Because long before Ruth, there was Moses writing in the book of Deuteronomy saying that God has promised to ensure that orphans and widows, right here we see a widow. We see two of them. We see widow Naomi. We see widow, right? Ruth. And here's the promise. He's going to show love to me. I love how God is a God that shows love to the foreigners. I think that we need to do a better job, church, of showing love to people that may not look like you. Right? I know that that's challenging, it's uncomfortable, it's weird, but I'll tell you what, that's what heaven's going to be like. Right, Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to be surrounding the halls of fellowship in heaven. The dinner table is going to be multicultural, multi-generational, it's going to be multi-ethnic, it's going to be beautiful. And therefore, church should be like that, shouldn't it? that the church should be the most diverse place where everybody has this one commonality. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that Jesus, he's showing love to the foreigner here and he shows love to us. This text says that he shows love to foreigners and he gives them food and clothing. Ruth has optimistic faith because she knows that God has love for her. She says, I need to go activate God's favor by my actions. What I love about Ruth in this story is she says, you know, if I just take a step by faith, it's going to activate. It's going to activate. I really believe faith is an activator. Right? Something about real optimistic faith activates God into, into action. It just seems to be the case throughout the gospels. When people approach Jesus by faith and they say, hey, we believe in you, Jesus. Can you heal my daughter? Jesus, he doesn't just say yes. He says, your faith has made her well. Right, when when the, the crew, this crew of faith bring their paralytic friend, drop him through the roof to Jesus, Jesus says, it's their faith that made you well. Oh, we should just do a study about all the different times where people showed up to Jesus and Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go in faith right the the book of hebrews tells us it's impossible to please god without faith but but real true and genuine faith optimistic faith doesn't just keep you on the sideline optimistic faith pushes you into the game if you really here's here's how you can test if you have optimistic faith or not are you in the game are you walking out your faith one of the reasons why we named our our church walk church Is because we're a church that's walking by faith, right? We don't want to just sit down and let the world speak for us. We don't want to just sit down and let the world lead for us. The church is called to have optimistic faith, to to lead by faith. Ruth says, I know God has me. I'm going to go for it by faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 19. Maybe you're familiar with these verses. But in the book of James, James writes to his congregation and his people. He says, someone will say, you have faith, but I have works. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James says that you'll be able to know my faith is actually real because you can test it with my actions. You believe that God is one you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Here's what he says, watch this. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's useless. Friend, let me go ahead and tell you this, and this is going to challenge somebody. Even if it's just one person, it's worth it. If you have big faith and a big God, but you have no actions to to prove it, I would question if you have faith at all. Your faith, my friend, may be dead. Your faith may be useless. The thing that activates miraculous favor in Ruth's life today is the fact that she got up, gave a hug to Naomi and said, I'm going to the fields and God's going to come back and show favor. I'm coming back with favor. She goes, I know it's going to happen. There's confidence. If I have to work there from morning to night, my God will come through. That's optimistic faith. Right? I want to challenge you. Don't go throughout the day looking like Eeyore. What's Eeyore faith? It's when somebody has to pull you and drag you. And you're like, man, I guess we can go. Maybe God will show up. I don't really know if it's going to happen. I don't know if we'll make it through this. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can fight that addiction. I'm like, No, have optimistic faith. Friend, if you know Jesus, the cup is half full. If you know Jesus, God is on your side. If you know Jesus, you have the advantage of the Holy Spirit living in you and through you. Get some optimism through your faith. I love Ruth. She says, I got optimism. God's gonna do it for me. I've been quoting from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've been learning much about Dr. King during this time and I would encourage you to do it as well. Here's what Dr. King once said. He said, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. What's real faith? Faith says, you know what? I can't see the whole staircase. I don't know how I'm gonna arrive at the vision that God's given me. I don't know how I'm gonna to get to that place of walking with Jesus that I know I wanna to get to. I don't know how I'm gonna break up with this person that I know I need to break up with. I don't know how to get out of credit card debt even though I know the Lord's calling me. I don't know how to stop watching stuff that I know I need to stop watching. I don't know how to start leading better in the home and outside of the home. But you know, if I can just take that first step of faith, that's what God's looking for. That optimistic faith that says it starts with the first step, ooh, and I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it. She says, I know if I do it, I'll find favor. It's coming. Come on, be reminded of Romans 8, 28. We know, Paul says, we know. He doesn't say we think. He doesn't say I'm not quite sure. He doesn't say I'm one day hopeful. No, he says, and we know that all things, come on, say it with me. Say all things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Can I just go ahead and be completely transparent with you? Can I keep it 100% with you right now? Let me keep it 100. We have been praying and driving and calling nonstop uh, about trying to figure out our next meeting place for Walk Church. We're in contact with the, with with Principal Nep at Schofield Middle School, we're waiting to hear back when in fact we'll be able to get into the school. We don't quite know. The administration at Schofield doesn't quite know. Uh, we've been getting turned down by different places. We've been visiting different places, having different discussions with landlords, etc. We don't quite know what the answer is yet. If I'm transparent, that's the case. But my friend, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm optimistic that God has what's best for us next. I know I'm not driving around weary. I'm not driving around bitter even. I'm not driving around scared even. I know because all things are working together for our good. Because we've been called according to his purpose and we love God. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I know it's got to be good. I got optimistic faith. And I want to encourage you, even though this day seems dark and this season has been uncertain, 2020 has felt like a full decade already and it's just six months, I get it, but friend, you can have optimistic faith. You really, you really can. I came across this quote this week. Uh, Our youth director, George, introduced me to it. It comes from the winningest basketball coach of all time, Coach John Wooden. Coach Wooden, would he would disciple his team with these words. He would say, things turn out best for the people who make the best out of the way things turn out. Come on, let me say it to you one more time. Things turn out best for the people who make the best out of the way things turn out. One more time. Ruth has had this challenging life. She wasn't able to have babies with her husband. Her husband passes away. She's now in this unknown foreign territory. They didn't even acknowledge her when she showed up. Her own mother-in-law didn't even acknowledge her when she showed up. Now she's in the field working from morning to night, and here's what she's saying. I'm gonna make the best out of this work. I'm just going for the scraps. I'm going for the glean, but God has favor for me. She goes, I know it. Favor is around the corner. If you got all that, say, I got it. Come on, do you got it? Let's go to the second point, right? Let's go to the next verse. Verse three says, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. The second point that I wanna wanna just put your attention on in the sermon is this, divine appointments follow optimistic faith. So not only does God's favor follow optimistic faith, there's real divine appointments that are following optimistic faith. If you step out with hopeful, confident faith, I mean, that's what optimistic means. It means you're hopeful and confident. If you step out with hopeful, confident faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a divine appointment waiting for you. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it's going to happen. I just know it's going to happen. Right? All throughout the Bible, you see God is a God of divine appointments. Right. The NIV translation of verse 3 says, as it turned out, She was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Oh my goodness, did you catch it? It says, as it turned out, or as we would say maybe in the world or the culture would say this, right? As luck would have it, no luck here, my friends. As God has ordained it and planned it and penned it and appointed it, this is a divine appointment. Could you imagine if Ruth just said, you know what? I don't really know if God's gonna provide for me. I'm not gonna go out and do anything. I'm just gonna sit back and let everybody else do the work for me. I'm not really going to put my faith in God. I'm not going to trust him, right? We don't see Naomi doing much here, but Ruth says, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to go to the field, and I'm going to come back with favor, and here goes the divine appointment. Divine appointments follow optimistic faith. I like how Dr. David Platt says it. David Platt says, nothing happens by accident in the economy of God. Come on, just say that with me. Say it, say it out loud with me. Say, nothing happens by accident in the economy of God. Everything happens by appointment. Everything happens by appointment. The word accident, by definition, according to dictionary.com, is, is an event that happens unexpectedly without a deliberate plan or cause. This right here is planned. This right here is caused. God has something special for this Moabite woman. God has something special for his daughter, Naomi. God has more in store for this people who said, we're going to leave. We're going to repent of our sin, right? They say, hey, look, we've been in Moab for the past 10 years. We're going to turn from our paganistic, idolatrous, sinful ways. And we're going to come back to God. And he says, when you come back to me, there's favor and there's divine appointments and real relationships that are waiting for you if you'd come back. So maybe you're watching this right now and you're not quite sure you're doing the double dutch with God. You're like, should I go all the way in? Because I know if I go all the way in, I'm not quite sure what's gonna happen. Good, that requires faith. Because if you just go right in, you start jumping, optimistic faith's gonna follow. Favor's gonna follow. Divine appointments are gonna follow. And this one is beautiful. This is glorious right here. God's setting it up, isn't he? Right at this point, Naomi and Ruth have no idea that Boaz is even around, right? They don't even know that he exists, at least from the context that we see here yet. At this point, we just don't know that. The author tells us that Boaz is around and that he's from the clan of Elimelech and that he's a wealthy man of God and we find out that he's single, but Ruth doesn't know that yet. If anything, Ruth's given up on this dream and it just so happens out of all... All the fields in Bethlehem, the one that Ruth decides to pick, just so happens to be Boaz field. Oh, I love you, Jesus. She says, hey, let's just, how about this one? And she's there, and she's there early. The context says she was working hard. She says, do you guys mind if I glean in this field this field? brown skinned Moabite woman who looks different from a lot of the Israelites in Bethlehem. And the, the, the keeper uh, and the watcher of the reaper says, yeah, you know, you can go ahead and glean. If you get something, you get something. And she stayed there all day long. She said, I'm not moving. Check this out from the CSB study Bible. It says the family connection was unknown to Ruth. Humanly speaking, she just happened to end up gleaning in his field, but there are no coincidences in God's program, and this divine appointment proved that the Lord was not against Naomi as she thought. Remember last week, chapter one, Naomi saying, God, he's he's got nothing more for me, I guess. He's just brought bitterness on my life. That's, call me Mara, and yet God is saying, Oh, you have no idea what I have in store for you and your daughter-in-law. Boaz is, is coming, right? God is preparing something. He's shaping something. There's a kinsman redeemer that's on the way. Jesus down the road is coming. King David down the road is coming. But how about God? How about God? He says, I want to do something right here with Ruth and Boaz. Verse four, it says, just then, come on, just then at that moment, look at verse four with me. In the NIV, it says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you and the Lord bless you, they answered. The ESV says, behold, Boaz arrives, right? Boaz shows up. The NIV says, just then, how about we serve a just then God? We serve a behold God, just when you think that things have gotten to the point of no return, just when you think you've thrown in the towel and given up, it's just then that God has a divine appointment for those who have optimistic faith. Friend, I want to encourage you to have optimistic faith because our God has the right, right plan in the store. Like you don't I don't know what your Boaz is, but in this case, Boaz, he's on his way. And he shows up just at the right time. And I love how Boaz shows up on the scene. It's almost humorous. I don't know if it is for you, but Boaz shows up on the scene and he looks at all of his workers, right? And he says, the Lord be with you. This is a man of God. I love that this man of God is a business owner, right? He's a business owner. He's a leader. He's a man of wealth and stature, and he does not hide his faith. I love that Boaz is explicit about his faith. Right? He shows up on the scene. I wonder if all the workers at that point were like, oh snap, that's Boaz. You about to get fired, bro. (laughs) No, here's the type of work relationship. He shows up and he says, hey, the Lord be with y'all. I just pray. He says a prayer over them. He says a prophetic word over them. He says, the Lord be with you. The Lord just be with you. What better of a word could you give somebody than that? The Lord be with you. And I love that their work relationship, employer-employee relationship, is so beautiful. They say back to him, "The Lord bless you." Come on, if you're if you work at a job, or if you're a CEO, if you're a boss, if you have people under you, learn this leadership principle from Boaz: lead with optimistic faith. Right? He doesn't show up on the scene and say, "Man, the Lord cursed y'all." He says, the Lord be with you guys. I want y'all to have a great day. I want you to win at life. I want you to do great in your job. I want you to make the best product. I want you to serve the best food. I want you to be the best leader. I want you to be the best athlete. I want you to train the hardest for your sport. The Lord be with you. And they turn around and say, what's up, boss Boaz? The Lord bless you. You're blessing us. We're blessing you. He's blessing all. This is a God thing. Optimistic faith, right? It's followed up by favor. Optimistic faith is followed by divine appointments. I can't help to remember the, I I would say the countless stories of divine appointments that I've had in my Christian life. For all my days of walking with Jesus, there's just so many clear moments when God just dropped me in the elevator or in, in in a room or at a dinner table or at a restaurant or or in church, or at a conference, and I'm just sitting by the right person at the right time. I remember I remember hearing about uh, a church that's in Dallas, Texas. It's, it's, a, it's a big church. It's one of the biggest churches that I've ever seen or been in. It's called Prestonwood Baptist Church, led by Dr. Jack Graham and Pastor Jarrett Stevens, some of the best leaders, right? And I just remember hearing all about this church. I always wanted to get to know somebody at that church, get connected with somebody at that church. I just never had necessarily a a divine encounter or appointment or an open door to do that. But one day I got a phone call that said, hey, Hayden, there's a vision tour coming to Las Vegas, Nevada. And we want you to show up and be on the bus with some of the different people that are on that tour, and I just said, I'm available, right? You just tell me what I need to do, where I need to be. I have optimistic faith that God has a plan and a purpose for this. I'm gonna step in with faith, and I went on that bus, and and I got to share my story as we rode around the city. They said, hey, Hyde, why don't you just stand up and share your story? Friend, always be ready to share your story. You never know when God's gonna put you on a spot, to share your story, which is really his story through you, right? Share the gospel through your testimony. I remember getting to do this. And later that night, we had a dinner time. We went to the Green Valley Ranch Hotel and we had this great big dinner. And they showed a video of Nina and I and a highlight of our church plant. I shook some hands. I said hello. I was able to just meet so many amazing people. We went home and I thought, man, that was awesome. That was just so powerful. I didn't know what was gonna come out of it. Until two weeks later, I get a phone call and on my, on my phone, this is a phone call from Dallas. And I say, hmm, weird. Let me answer it. And on the other line is Dr. Jared Stevens, right? the executive pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church. And he says, is this Hayden? I said, this is him. Who's this? He says, this is Jarrett from, from Prestonwood. I said, <clears throat> well, great to hear from you, right? And he began to tell me how he was in the room that night. How he saw our video that night, how they were praying about partnering with a church plant in the West, in Las Vegas. God just happened to drop me in the room that night. Our video just happened to just show that night. He just happened to be there for that one night. And now we have an established partnership and they've helped be a part of our church plant from the very earliest days. They've sent mission trips. We've been out there. We've been able to partner together to reach the gospel, send the gospel, reach the city, reach the nations together. And I don't know what that would have happened if it wasn't for that divine appointment that night, that God just had something big in store. And I just said, hey, I'm just going to step out with optimistic faith. Divine appointments follow optimistic faith. Amen? All right, we're going we're to just read a couple more verses and then we're going to close because we'll just pick it right back up where we left off last week. Let's continue reading. Verses five and six tell us that, then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? He says, mm-hmm, who is this right here? Who's young? Who does she belong to? Where did she come from? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Oh, I love this right here. This third and final point of the sermon today is that God's grace follows optimistic faith. The first point was God's favor follows optimistic faith. The second point is divine appointments follow optimistic faith. But this right here, my friends, is that God's grace follows optimistic faith. We were singing that earlier in the worship, right? That we're covered by his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. We see this covering of grace here in Ruth's life, don't we? The definition for the word grace is simply this, an undeserved gift from God. Somebody told me recently, I mean, I just don't, I just don't deserve God's grace. You know what I told him? You are right. You got the definition right. You don't deserve God's grace. That's the, the, that's the perfect picture of grace. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. God gives it anyway. Why would you say that about Ruth? Well, just think about her story, right? She's a Moabite woman. She's not from the tribe of Judah. She's not from Israel. She's not from Bethlehem, not at all. She probably grew up worshiping false gods. We don't know quite about her other than every time she's mentioned up to this point, she's mentioned as the Moabite, right? She's classified and identified by the different people in her life as the Moabite woman. Even the, 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 the servant right here, looks up at Boaz, and he says, this right here, right, she she came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's a Moabite woman. She just said, hey, can you please let me glean to gather the sheaves after the reapers? I don't even need to be a reaper. I just want to gather the leftovers. So she came, and she continued from early morning until now. She took a short rest, and that's who she is. I love that. The thing that I notice about God's grace here, and and this is going to become more clear next week. Don't tap out. Come on, tap in next week with me. The thing that where I see God's grace here is that out of all the reapers, of all the people that are working that showed up to work that day, the one person that Boaz asks about is Ruth. That, that, That Boaz notices Ruth to the point where he actually asks, who is that? Where does she come from? Boaz takes an interest in the foreigner. Boaz takes an interest in this Moabite single widowed woman. Now, what does that sound like to you? To me, that sounds like the gospel. To me, that sounds like we are modern day Ruths, right? We're we're foreigners, we've blown it, we're sinful. We're children of God's wrath, right? We're we're born into sin and we're born dead into sin, spiritually broken, dead people. We're like walking zombies on the earth. We're the foreigner to the people of God. We're a foreigner to the Holy Spirit. We're a foreigner to the gospel. We're a foreigner to Jesus. But, But God takes notice of us. The gospel is that God takes notice of sinful people like us, like Ruth, like Naomi. And he says, I want to know you. Do you want to know me? God wants to know us so much that he sent Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless savior, to die the sacrificial death on our behalf, our sinful behalf, and then to take our sin upon him, to, to have our sin imputed to him on the cross to the point of death. And to then send us his justification and righteousness as he rises from the grave and by our optimistic faith in him, he saves us. He brings us out of the grave too and he puts a calling and salvation and eternity in our lives. This is what's happening with Ruth, right? This, This man of God, Boaz, takes interest in Ruth and the gospel is on display. Warren Rearsby says it like this. He goes like this. He says, When Ruth set out that morning to glean in the fields, she was looking for someone who would show her grace. Grace is favor bestowed on someone who doesn't deserve it and can't earn it. As a woman, a poor widow, an alien, Ruth could have no claims on anyone. She was at the lowest rung of the social order. Ruth was the lowest notch in the the order that was there that day gleaning in the field. And yet Boaz takes notice and interest in her and the love story is about to begin. Before we do that, I just wanna make sure that you're not just reading and watching the story unfold and missing how God loves you in it. I wanna ask you to do this with me as we close right now. I'm just gonna move this out of the way. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up with me, all right? Come on, stand up with me right now. Stand up, come on, everybody, stand up. Maybe you're comfortable. Maybe you're laying down on the couch. Maybe you're watching this in your bed. I'm just glad that you're watching it, all right? But stand up with me right now. And I want you to read Ephesians chapter two, verses one through nine, out loud with me right now. The words are at the bottom of your screen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 2. And I want you to see the gospel out of Ephesians 2 and find your place in it. Grace follows optimistic faith. Let's read this together, ready? Ephesians 2, starting in verse one. If you're ready, say ready. Let's do it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's us, friends. That's our testimony. That's who we are. Like the rest of mankind, but come on, scream it with me. But... God, come on, say it with me one more time. But God, wake the person up next to you. But God. Come on, I want to say it loud and and I want you to make sure that Satan hears you. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Come on, you have been saved, right? Don't ever forget that. It's, it's not by our works that we've been saved. Come on, friends. It's by his grace that we have been saved. Not only by his grace, but we've been raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, amen? Now finish this with me, don't don't drop off. Come on, finish reading with me. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Don't get excited like you're the one who is the author of your faith, you're not. We have a bigger and better God than that. His name is Jesus Christ, and he died for our sins and rose from the grave, and he's the author of our faith. It says, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friend, if we're gonna boast in anything this morning, this evening, whatever point you're watching this, boast in the grace of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace follows optimistic faith. Amen? Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that his grace is covering you, his grace is following you? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you've fallen, he'll pick you up again. He's removed your sin. He's removed your shame. He takes you as you are. And now, just like we sang, you're covered by his grace if you've never tasted God's grace, if you've never experienced God's love, if you've never received Jesus, then everything that I just mentioned to you is not for you yet. But friend, if you can put your faith in him and have optimistic faith, come on, favor's around the corner, divine appointments are around the corner, and God's grace is present and ready to enter into your life right now. Would you pray with me? Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you in Jesus Christ's name. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I ask you right now for grace. God, I pray you would save sinful people watching this right now. If you don't know Jesus and you're watching this right now, today's the day to get to know him. Just say, I turn from my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from Moab. I turn away from lust. I turn away from thievery. I turn away from pride. I turn away from disobedience. I turn away from delayed disobedience. I turn away and I turn to Jesus. I turn to him with optimistic faith. Come on, right now, just say, Lord, save me. Lord, change me. Lord, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change my life for your glory. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. I believe I was the foreigner, but you came to get to rescue me. You took interest in me. So Lord, save me now in Jesus name. And God, I wanna pray a second prayer for those right now who just feel burdened, broken, exhausted, tired, and lost, and hurt. They know you, Jesus. They know you, they're, they're, they're like Naomi. they still believe in you, God, but they don't have optimistic faith. They have pessimistic faith. They're just counting the days, waiting for it to be over. God, I pray that you would exchange pessimistic faith for optimistic faith. God, I pray that people wouldn't just be so quick to critique and criticize, but be quick to have optimism about what you're doing, God. Not blaming you, but trusting you and walking and taking their next step by faith. God, I pray that you would lift the spirits of those who are broken. And, God, those who are single, God, bring Boaz into the single women's lives. Bring Ruth's into the single men's lives. And, God, I pray that you would bring divine appointments in favor and faith to everybody that's watching and praying with me right now. Holy Spirit, we trust you. We believe in you, Jesus. And, God, we ask you, God, for favor. Holy Spirit, would you do these things for us? Would you heal our land? would you expose darkness? Would you expose injustice? Would you bring healing to racial tension in our land? May we learn from you how to love each other better. God, we love you. We trust you. We come before you with optimistic faith. Heal broken families. Heal broken relationships. Restore those things we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Woo!